Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This morning we come to the last text in Philippians and to our last sermon in this study of this great letter from the Apostle Paul to his dear friends in Philippi. So as we've we've mentioned a few times already, uh, this next week we'll have our prospective gospel partners with us here, and we're looking forward to that. Next Sunday, Chris will be sharing in our Bible class more about the ministry, but we're also looking forward to having him preach for us as well next Sunday morning. But as I think about our text today, I'm also thankful for how their upcoming visit has lined up really well with where we are at in this letter. And this happened another time as well, back earlier in the fall, when our current gospel partners, Greg and Brittany, were with us. We were in one of the other texts in Philippians that focuses on gospel partnership. And so today, as we look ahead to another visit, we get to be in another great text in Philippians about gospel partnership. Okay, now, as we come into chapter 4, at the end of the letter, Paul's going to refer to a lot of things that happened in the past between himself and the Philippians. And in previous sermons, we went through a lot of this in great detail. I don't, I don't plan to rehearse all of that, but I also know that you probably don't remember all of it either. So I just want to try to help us with a few of the things that are relevant to this text from what happened between A.D. 50, when Paul planted this church, and A.D. 62, when he wrote this letter to his dear friends. So, so think back first, A.D. 50. Paul is on what we typically call his second missionary journey, where he goes out and tries to plant churches in cities that have never heard the gospel. You can read about this from Acts chapter 16 to Acts chapter 18. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke had traveled together from a place called Troas in modern-day Turkey across the sea to Macedonia, modern-day Greece. And the very first city that they focused on when they got there was a Roman colony named Philippi. When they arrived, there were, as far as we know, no Christians there at all. But when they left, a few months later, they left behind a church, a church that was meeting together in the house of a woman named Lydia. Okay, and what I want to think about is where they went next. Okay. I doubt you would remember this, but maybe you do. Does anybody remember where they went immediately after Philippi? Remember, they got arrested, beaten, then they got released, and they went right down the road, 90 miles, to the city of Thessalonica. Okay? I'm going to keep that in mind for later this morning. Then, over the next few years, Paul would interact with the church in Philippi on several occasions, and they become known in the New Testament for one thing in particular. They become known for giving. They become known as the greatest gospel partners Paul maybe ever had. Sadly, however, about eight years um, after Paul planted the church, so around AD 58, Paul is arrested in Jerusalem, and the next thing you know, he spends four years as a prisoner. Okay, so the year is now A.D. 62. Twelve years have passed between the time he planted the church and what happens next while he's sitting there under house arrest 
in Rome. Sitting there waiting for his trial before the Emperor Nero, and one day, perhaps very unexpectedly, a man that he's known for a long time comes walking through his door to his house in Rome, carrying money, gifts, and a lot of love from his dear friends in Philippi. That man's name, who brought all that stuff, was Epaphroditus. And it was his arrival from a thousand miles away in Philippi that led to great joy for Paul and to the writing of the letter we spent the last many months in. In both the first and second chapter of the letter, Paul references these events and the partnership he's had with the Philippians throughout this whole time. And now at the end of the letter, for the third and final time, Paul returns to that same theme. Okay, that'll be our text today. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. And I want to start by reading verses 10 through 19. Paul says, Philippians 4.10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is a great closing text. But before we dig into it a little deeper, I want to make two quick observations about what we wrote, about what we read. Okay? First, the main topic of that is partnership. Okay? That's what unifies the 10 verses we just read. This is about Paul's gratitude for their long-term gospel partnership. And then second, in the middle of this closing thank you note, Paul makes two clarifications in the text. And those are actually things we might know best about this text. Because those two clarifications that he makes are really encouraging and very thought-provoking. And you can spot them by looking for the repeated three-word phrase, not that I. Okay, look, at, look at it. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need. And then verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Okay. So this is how we're going to walk through the text today. We're going to look at the main theme, gospel partnership, and then we're going to come back and look at the two clarifications, the two not that I phrases. Okay? So let's pick back up in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length 
you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Okay, so Paul's already expressed his thankfulness before in the letter, but he wants that to be the closing word. He wants that to be the last thing they hear. This letter is being read. He wants them to hear of his gratitude and what their partnership and gifts have meant to him. That would be the thing he wants them to walk out of the, of the service with, ringing in their ears. This church was always there for Paul, and now they've shown up again in a big way. Now at length, you have revived your concern for me. And that's led Paul, he says, to great joy in the Lord. Again, now, what Paul's getting at by saying now at length, okay, what he's getting at is that it's been a while since they've been together. After all, he's been a prisoner for the last four years. He hasn't been there in a long time. And so he says, now at last, you've revived your concern for me. But then Paul knows that that might sound like he's critiquing them for taking so long for, to care for him. Do you know what I mean? If you, if you try to read that with a little Minnesota passive-aggressive tone to it, you're like, I'm really thankful that now, at last, you've remembered me. Okay. So, so Paul says quickly, I know you were concerned for me, but you just didn't have the opportunity before. Paul knows they, they would have helped him, if they'd had the chance, but they didn't have the chance until now. And their revived concern has given them great joy in Jesus. Now Paul comes back to their kindness in verse 14. Look at that. Yet it was kind of you to share, or it could be translated, or partner with me in my trouble. Now if you've ever had brothers or sisters come alongside you in your trouble, in your affliction, whether that's financial or physical or family kind of troubles. I think we all resonate with that. That was kind of you to share with me in troubles that weren't yours. This leads Paul to reminisce a bit about how they've always done this for him. See verse 15? It says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you, you only. Even in Thessalonica, you send me help for my needs once and again. And this is where I, why I brought that up. Do you remember where Paul went? Right after he planted the church, he went immediately from Philippi down the road to Thessalonica 12 years ago. And what did they do for him even as a brand new church. Like they had just come to Jesus. And what did they do? They immediately partnered with him in the work of the gospel. They wanted to send gifts to the guy who had told them about Jesus so he'd be able to tell more people about Jesus. They had experienced the grace of God through Paul and they wanted to give back to Paul, yes, but also to God. They didn't do it because they had to. They gave because they wanted to. And I think that, that is a sign of what happens when grace gets a hold of a person's heart. What does that lead to? It leads to people 
loosening their hold on their stuff, right? It leads to those people wanting to give. And Paul never forgot what they did in those early days. And now all these years later, they've done it again. And that's the main theme of the text, this closing thank you note for their gospel partnership. <clears throat> now I want to go back. I want to look at the two clarifications in the text, the two not that I talks in the text. Okay? The first one, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So on the one hand, as you think about what's going on in the text, Paul wants them to know how much their gifts have meant to him, how much joy it's brought him. But on the other hand, Paul does not want it to sound like he's been desperate or in despair as a prisoner. So what does he say? I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's not that I'm speaking of being desperate or in despair. I've learned things. How did Paul learn to be content in any circumstance? How did he learn it? And Paul learned it largely through experience. He had been brought low at many times. He had abounded sometimes. He'd had a little many times. And he learned the secret of being content and confident in any and every circumstance. And what was the secret that he learned over the years? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I'm not speaking as if I'm in need or in despair. This is the clarification he's making. And by the way, I think Paul's speaking directly of Christ when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think he's speaking directly of Christ. And behind this is Paul's confidence that Jesus Christ really lived, really died for his sins, and was truly risen from the dead. Paul had a real relationship. Like he really knew Christ. And he had experienced Christ's power in him in any and every circumstance. Whether in prosperity or in poverty, Christ was always there, strengthening him to do what he needed to do. He says, that's the secret that I learned about contentment. And being confident is that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I don't want to park long on misuses of the text. Okay? I'm sure you're familiar with some of these. But, but let me just say, <clears throat> this is not a promise. Your team will win the Super Bowl. Or that you will be able to complete an Ironman competition. Or that your business will boom. To put that another way, this verse is not saying, I can do all things that I want to do <laughs> through Christ. Okay? 
That would be to draw too much from the verse to be saying more than Paul is saying. Okay, on the other hand, I think it's also possible to try to restrict the application of this verse more than we should. So that it basically only ends up applying to contentment. Okay, so this is my opinion maybe, but I think because the text is often misused to apply to everything that's put on everybody's like basketball shoes, okay, other people want to read it and limit the application only to what Paul was saying about contentment. Like, they might read it like this. I've learned the secret of contentment, verse 12. I can be content through Christ, verse 13. Now, that, that may sound like a subtle difference there, but because after all, Paul is saying we can be content through Christ. He is saying that. But note that Paul does not limit verse 13 to contentment. He doesn't say in verse 13, I can be content through Christ who strengthens me. What does he say? I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, so to limit the application solely to being content, I think would be to draw too little from verse 13, to make it say less than Paul is saying. Paul is saying something broader than this. He's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, what, okay, what I'm trying to say, if you're not following this, is that the all things in verse 13 is there for a reason. The all things includes being content. But that's not all that it is. And so here, here's how I would communicate what Paul's getting at. I think Paul's saying something like, I can do all things that Christ wants me to do through Christ who strengthens me. This verse is not a claim that we can do all things that we want to do through Christ, but it is a claim that we can do all that Christ wants us to do through Christ who strengthens us. Now, the specific area of Paul's life where he had been experiencing Christ's power lately was in learning to be content in any and every circumstance. And perhaps that is exactly what God is trying to teach you lately. Perhaps that's what Christ wants you to do and to learn. It's to be content. And, and the encouragement of this text is, through Christ, you can do that. You may have been wrestling for years with being content in your circumstances. You can be content through Christ who strengthens you. In fact, you can do everything that Christ really wants you to do through him. You see, without him, we can do nothing. But through him, we can do all that he truly wants us to do. Your strength, my strength are limited always. They always will be. Christ is not. And this is Paul's first clarification part. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I'm not desperate or in despair. I've learned the secret of contentment. 
I can do all things through Christ. Now to the second clarification. Paul's second, not that I. Discussion, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I do seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So why does Paul say what he does right there? Okay, Paul knows he's been talking a lot about money and a lot about how much he likes gifts. And so what does he do? He clarifies. It's not that I'm after gifts. Okay, Paul's saying something like, I am truly thankful for the gift, but I want you to know, for me, it's not about the gift. That's not what I'm after. That is not what I'm most excited about. It's not that I seek the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What excites me most, Paul says, is that I know that your investment in me and in the gospel is going to lead to a great harvest for you. We need to think about that verse. God sees, and Paul saying, God sees what you're giving. God knows your heart as you give. And so I know that this investment you've made in me here and now is going to lead to a great reward for you then and there. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And then Paul goes on in verse 18 and adds, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's saying, through you I've gotten all I need and more. But did you notice how Paul describes the gifts they sent to him? They sent the stuff to him, and how does Paul describe the gifts? Those gifts you sent to me are a fragrant offering to God. Okay, that language, of course, comes right out of the Old Testament. Fragrant offering, for example. I mean, all of it. Sacrifice, acceptable, pleasing God. But especially a fragrant offering. That exact phrase is used 38 times in Leviticus and Numbers. Like That's how you describe all these sacrifices. But as is often the case in the New Testament, the sacrifices they're offering aren't animals. In this case, what's the sacrifices they're offering? These fragrant offerings. It's their money. It's their financial contributions to him, to God, to the work of the gospel. Gifts given out of love. Those gifts, he says, are a fragrant, beautiful sacrifice to God. God sees them. God smells them. If you will. And Paul says, God's going to reward you richly for your gospel investment. Perhaps here and now, but especially then and there. It's not that I seek the gift, but I do seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Texts like this should stir our hearts to give generously and to partner sacrificially for the advance of the gospel. God sees the goers, and God sees the senders, the ones who pray and give and support, and God will richly reward them all. Okay, that's the main theme, and two clarifications. And now, not surprisingly, for Paul, Paul concludes that with a great promise. Verse 19, And my God 
will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God is a God who loves to give, and God is a God who loves to see his children give. And what Paul knows is that God, he says, my God, will richly provide for every need of this dear church that had given so sacrificially to him. I think that's a great encouragement to him, to the church, I mean, and to us. They did not give because they had to. You don't get that sense about this church ever, that they gave under compulsion. You never get that sense. And they certainly did not give to get. That's not what's going on here. And the same thing is to be true of us as we give to God's work and God's workers. We always give because God has first given to us. God's given us all things. And what do you have that God didn't give you? Greatest of all, God has given us the gift of his son. Our giving is always in response. God is always the first and greatest giver. I mean, Paul asks questions like this in Romans 11. Who's ever given a gift to God so that God has to repay him? Answer, nobody. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Right? We give because God is first given to us. And for Christians, though, we give because we actually want to give. Because God has given us a heart that wants to give. And so we can take heart from this story that God sees what we give, God sees the heart with which we give, and God loves to take care of all his children, especially when they've put themselves out there in faith and have given generously, willingly, and cheerfully to care for his servants and to advance his work. Our God will supply every need of ours according to his riches and glory in Christ. And this leads to the conclusion of the letter. Verse 20. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I won't say much about these, but I'll highlight a few things. First, the end of all things is the glory of God. Okay, the ending here reminds me of the ending of the Christ hymn earlier in the letter. Do you remember that one? Christ humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay. And now here at the end of the letter, Paul ends with these closing words, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. In the immediate context, what led to that? It was Paul's words of confidence that God, my God, will supply all your needs to our God and Father be glory forever. Paul loves these people. Paul knows that no matter what happens to him, God will take care of them. To God be glory forever and ever. But also the whole closing passage is about the Philippians' love for Paul. And Paul knows that the deep love they have for him was the work of God in their hearts. That's why they loved him so much. That's why they stuck with him so long. Because God was giving them the energy, the desire, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. To God be glory forever and ever. Okay, second, all the saints should love and welcome each other. You see that in text? Greet every saint 
in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Do you remember? There's a little bit of conflict in the church in Philippi. It's talked about in chapter 4. Yodia, Syntyche. I think it's interesting. Even at the end of the letter, there's a reminder to remember they're all, they're all in Christ. Greet every saint in Christ. Okay. If we're all in Christ, can we not extend genuine love and welcome to each other? Okay. As churches grow, okay, I think in our own church, our church has grown over the years. Unfortunately, we can't always greet every single person every single Sunday. If you, I would be interested if you ever tried to do that. That would be challenging. But I think we should ask ourselves, are there people I'm trying not to greet? Like, are there people that I'd rather avoid? A text like this, I think, speaks to that. Paul closes a lot of his letters like this. Like this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Okay, third, the, the gospel, as you saw here, was on the move in Caesar's household. This is a reminder of what was in the letter. Did you, did you catch that? Paul says, all the, great, all, all, this, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Do you remember how Paul talked about this earlier in the letter? You would think that his imprisonment would have hindered the gospel. Do you remember what Paul says at the beginning of the book? I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and everybody else that my imprisonment is for Christ. And now in the closing words, Paul adds this short phrase about Caesar's household that I think would have brought many smiles, a lot of joy to his friends in Philippi, especially if the jailer was there still at this time. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul wrote... You have to remember, Paul wrote or dictated this letter chained to a Roman guard. Perhaps that very guard or others like him told Paul, can you send them my greetings too? Those are my brothers and sisters. And lastly, the letter begins and ends pointing to our need for grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second verse of the letter. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now in the final chapter, what has Paul pointed us to? If you're anxious, what should you do? Pray. Turn it over to the Lord and pray. And what will God give you? And the peace of God will guard your heart. And then the last verse of the letter. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Our first and greatest need is to be in Christ, to be united to him by faith. But our constant need, day by day, year by year, can be summed up well in these things. We need peace from God our Father to guard us and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to sustain us. And thankfully, we have a God who is both able and willing to meet that need every day. In fact, as Paul said, my God will supply every need you have according to the riches of his glory in Christ. And so we can say in response to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever.
Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you take these words and just recap so much of what we've seen these last months. And will you again do your good work in us. Grant us contentment and confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ who strengthens us. And even as we go forward as a church, already partnering with some, considering partnering with other dear gospel workers, Lord, I pray that these thoughts will stir us, grant us hearts that long to give back to you, knowing that you have first given all things to us. And most of all, we thank you for the gift of your son. I pray that through this sermon, through this service, you'll draw all of us back to Jesus. And through this table, would you do the same? In his name we pray. Amen.